0: student bodies. Welcome to this month's spooky meeting of (laughs) Super Chillers, an exclusive club where we read and discuss retro teen horror novels. I'm Jeffrey.
1: And I'm Katie.
0: And on today's episode, The Nancy Drew Files, Something to Hide, Case 41. A
1: rush of crimes erupt when Nancy investigates a new beauty cream. Nancy and her friends are helping Ned with a college marketing project, introducing Spotless beauty cream to the public. Problem is, Bess and a lot of other people who tried the new product have been rushed to the hospital. Alarmed, Nancy decides to check out the company that makes clearly the rival cosmetic to Spotless. But the teen detective finds someone has more to hide than blemishes in this case. A mysterious individual has laced samples of Spotless with deadly poison. Unless Nancy finds out who it is, she'll be the one who's rubbed out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be rubbed out like a pimple. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So we are reading for the first time a book in the Nancy Drew Files series. Um, This is the first and I think most successful and popular spinoff of the Nancy Drew mystery stories. Um, This series was developed by the Stratemeyer Syndicate, who are the the group, the packaging company that created Nancy Drew and held on to her for some time before selling her off to Simon & Schuster. (laughs) And Simon & Schuster ran with this concept of a slightly more mature, slightly older, slightly... Racier Nancy Drew, who gets into (laughs) much more, you know, uh, uh, diabolical situations. Uh, The Nancy Drew File series was targeted more towards teens. Uh, They're available in the tiny pocket mass market editions, unlike the digest size, larger format of the Nancy Drew mystery stories. The series ran for 124 volumes over 11 years, uh, apparently, more than six seventeen million copies were printed and sold. Wow. Uh, that's a lot. So why we're covering this particular book on this podcast, why we're even looking at the Nancy Drew Files is because, well, they're for a teen audience, right? But also because that more mature content means sometimes there are bodies in these books. Yes, there's sometimes elements of suspense, thrillers, and, and gory blood. Well, not super gory, like, you know. implied horrific deaths Um, that happens almost immediately from the first book in the series and continues throughout though sometimes maybe we don't get as much as we might want Uh, anyway the actual (laughs) author of this book um, we don't know of course it is credited to Carolyn Keene as all the 124 volumes in this series were but of those, we only really know a handful of identified ghostwriters. Um, there's Susan Wittig Albert, Bill Albert, Deborah Gaines, Rosalind Noonan, and Louise Ladd. But yeah, these ones probably didn't write this book. We, we don't know who wrote this book. Sad to say, it's a darn shame.
1: Do you think if you rearrange the letters in Carolyn Keene, it will reveal the real author?
0: uh yes um (laughs) or if you do it uh backwards right uh alucard Uh, oh no dracula wrote this book (laughs) Um, (laughs) so uh one person we do know who is responsible for at least maybe the most iconic portion of this book and the fact that the real fact that we're doing it this month the most spookiest month of all october is the cover artist and that is James Jim Matthews of Sweet Valley High fame. Yes, he is uh, uh, the iconic uh, traditional painter who made all of those wonderful Sweet Valley High depictions of the Wakefield twins and friends. Um, So, Katie, why don't you talk us through this amazing cover that has absolutely nothing to do with this book? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it truly doesn't get any better than this cover. I don't even really know where to start. Um, Well, first of all, we have Nancy Drew in a fabulous outfit, perhaps the coolest outfit I've ever seen. (laughs) She has (laughs) a black and white striped blouse on with some high-waisted black trousers, and around her collar is sort of a bow or a ribbon that's tied in a bow. And An exceptional element that she added to this outfit is her flat-brimmed straw hat with a black ribbon around it. Um, It's giving gondolier. Are there gondolas in this book? No, but that is what we call a fashion statement. And behind Nancy, there is a very sinister-looking figure wearing a hooded outfit perhaps carrying a weapon and several jack-o'-lanterns carved into eerie smiles but those elements might as well not even be there because Nancy just really steals the scene with her outfit that she has on
0: (laughs) those pumpkins need candles to glow but Nancy does not yeah Um, yeah an amazing outfit truly one of the best uh she didn't she didn't even really need the hat to pull it together, but right. she threw it in just because she could.
2: Just because yeah. she
1: could.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's get into the characters of this volume, some of who will probably be familiar to you if you've ever read a Nancy Drew book, because the Nancy Drew Files keeps the core four intact.
2: Yeah. Of course, we
0: have nancy drew the leader of our clue crew she is the titian haired teen sleuth extraordinaire master of lock picking student of judo you know nance or nan as her friends call her here for some reason (laughs) In the File series, she's a little older and dealing with more mature situations, like we discussed. Uh, like, for instance, making out with lots of boys who aren't her most of the time steady Ned. In this book, though, she's most notable for being very slow to recognize that the skin cream is poisonous. Like, come on, man, why didn't you figure this out immediately? Also, <laughs> she only makes out with Ned here. Oh, disappointing. <laughs>
1: What can you even say about Nancy Drew? She is such a legend. She can solve any crime by dinner time.
0: (laughs) Dinner time with her favorite beef stew. (laughs) Great little detail thrown in here. Um, Next, we have Bess Marvin and George Fane, cousins and Nancy's perpetual pales and sleuthing partners. Blonde, bubbly Bess is best described as a boy enthusiast, while ever joshing George is a dark-haired sports and fitness nut. George barely has anything to do in this book beyond make a couple wisecracks, but Bess's beating heart manages to get her involved in the plot and laid out with a case of the oops, I've been poisoned.
1: Yeah, um, Bess reminds me a bit of Jessica Wakefield, except she's (laughs) actually a very nice person. (laughs) Yes, Yes, But she's, you know, a little bit more hesitant to jump into crime solving, Um, but she can always get herself together to go to the mall. So it's a good thing that that is the main setting of this book.
0: (laughs) Very convenient. Next up is Ned Nickerson. Ned is an Emerson college boy and Nancy's beau. Um, Again, like I mentioned before, they have a pretty stable relationship in the original Nancy Drew books, but... In these books, Nancy and Ned's relationship is not so, you know, steady. Um, It's sort of a little rocky at times. Whenever Ned is not around, Nancy is, she forgets about him and uh, hangs out with some other boys. Um, They break up and get back together several times as it goes.
1: you know, they've been together for, what, 50 years at this point?
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, at this point, it's about 90 years. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, it's okay to explore a little bit. Yeah. So uh, in this particular book, we're in that functional territory, with the two being rather smitten with one another. Uh, Ned's involvement in a marketing class group project at school involves the Clue Crew in this book's central mystery.
1: I was just browsing some of the other Nancy Drew files, and I came across one where or Ned proposed to Nancy, and she said no, and the very next day, he was engaged to a different girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> These kids, they move fast. Yeah. They move fast. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have our suspects in this rash of beauty cream. Well, I guess acne cream. That's beauty, too. Uh, poisonings. Marsha Grafton. Marsha is a tall, angular girl with golden hair, pale skin, and an entirely black wardrobe. So I imagine she looks a little bit like Elizabeth Holmes. I said the same exact (laughs) thing.
1: She reminded me so much of Elizabeth Holmes. Her aesthetic, her domineering personality.
0: (laughs) She is, yeah, uh, she's got polite half smiles for all, but she's clearly not too friendly. And she's too nosy for her own good, according to our poisoner.
1: Yeah. And she has a case of sour grapes because her former boyfriend, Brad, now seems to be interested in the effervescent (laughs) Bess.
0: Bubbly. (laughs) Uh, Justin Todd. He is our next suspect. He is the brains behind the operation. This guy, he loves to muck around with chemicals. Short and chubby, with curly brown hair and a snub nose. Oh, this this ghostwriter did him dirty. He's got a friendly grin, and uh, he's full of terrible non-jokes. He's the class clown, didn't you know? Uh, Don't pay attention to his little ways. Pretty intense around finals time, though. Suspect because of a summer internship at Spotless's rival, Asco. Could he be mucking up Some industrial sabotage? Maybe.
1: Maybe. maybe. The unfortunately named Asco.
0: Asco. (laughs) One S, but there's no other way to pronounce it, I don't think. Asco. I
1: I would not get my beauty products from that company.
0: (laughs) Uh, Heather Tompkins is next. She is constantly shaking her mane of brown curls out of her perfect heart-shaped face. Her long, lashed, hazel eyes have fallen on ned she sort of coasts along through school not badly actually grades aren't the main thing on her mind but if an ad agency offered a job and they're stealing guys from their girlfriend's department (laughs) well she might be interested in the next opening uh but could heather be poisoning the skin cream with the goal of question mark (laughs) winning ned's affection i guess i don't know
1: yeah, Heather is just in college, truly just to get her MRS degree, if you know what I mean.
0: I don't. What, what does that mean, MRS?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's when someone goes to college um, with the hopes of becoming a Mrs. Oh. Looking for a husband. <laughs> oh. I think it's a Southern thing. <laughs> oh, that's clever,
0: then. MRS degree. I like it. Uh Brad Shannon is our next and final character of interest. He is blonde and tall with shoulders that a ghostly undead football player would have envied. Sparkling, deep blue eyes, partially hidden behind horn-rimmed glasses. His family owns a local greenhouse nursery and pumpkin patch. And if Brad were a pumpkin, Bess would certainly pick him up for carving, Aww. if you know what I mean. <laughs>
1: What a dream to date someone whose family owns a pumpkin patch. That is, that's the goal.
0: That is a goal. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do you want to lead us through the plot of this pumpkin patch tale?
1: (laughs) It would be an honor. So Nancy, Bess, and George are headed to meet Ned at the mall. He's working on a project for his college marketing class to do some market research and they meet up with his classmates, Marcia, Justin, Heather, and Brad. And they explain that they'll be giving away free samples of a preventive cream called Spotless, which if you put it on every night, it will keep your skin from breaking out. And in exchange for these free samples, teens will provide a bit of information to the research team on what other kinds of skincare products they use. The company behind Spotless says that if the cream is successful in River Heights, they're just going to launch that product across the whole USA. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. (laughs) So Heather invites Marsha, Justin, Brad, and of course Ned over to her house that night for pizza, and she sort of reluctantly adds that Nancy, Bess, and George can also join if they want, though she makes it perfectly clear that she would rather this pizza party just be for her and Ned
0: alone. (laughs) (laughs) A very intimate pizza party.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and Bess is excited to go because she's Started hitting it off with Brad while they've been working. So she picks up a tub of spotless and she starts applying it to her cheek, jokingly saying, Well, I'd better start making myself beautiful now. But Justin smacks the tub out of her hand and says, Stop, that stuff's dangerous. Everyone stares at him. And then he says, Guys, I was just joking around. You know me, I'm a class clown. And Brad
0: (laughs) listen i do funny things
1: yeah the classic class clown that is actually not very funny at all (laughs) um so brad hints that justin may be holding back some information like maybe something he learned the previous summer working at asco and nancy gasps asco but they're spotless's biggest competitor Brad follows that by saying that ASCO is this very ruthless company and they will do anything to have a more successful product, but Justin defends himself and ASCO saying, he was just an intern there, they're not ruthless, they actually make pretty good products, he just tried to brush it all off. So Nancy starts to see why tensions are high with this project when Marcia explains that there's more at stake with this project than just a good grade. The top student in the class will score a job after graduation with Spotless's ad agency in Chicago. Now, what we've learned from last month's Super Chiller's book and now this book is that we have to stop the dangerous practice of incentivizing academic performance with some sort of lucrative prize. It really makes students go crazy. It'll make your cheese slide right off your cracker. Were you ever involved in any academic competitions growing up? And if so, how many people did you have to kill?
0: <laughs> I did not, but I'll tell you, it decimated uh, my graduating class. Yeah. You know, It was just a, just a baker's dozen of us. Yeah. There. <laughs> Such a shame. And we all split the prize equally.
1: <laughs> One of the lucky ones, I guess. Um, but to make matters worse, uh, towards the end of the day, Bess doubles over in a coughing fit, and Brad rushes to go get her some lemonade, which helps for a bit, but then she completely passes out, so Nancy and George rush Bess to the hospital. The doctors want to keep her overnight for some tests, but it seems like she's maybe just got the flu, plus she has a big splotch on her cheek that they want to take a look at. (laughs) And later that night, George calls Nancy to report that the tests came back and they revealed that Bess was poisoned and it wasn't food poisoning, it appeared to be some kind of chemical. So River Heights' best detective is on the case. She tells Ned the news about Bess but she doesn't tell anyone else. Her immediate suspicion is that maybe the lemonade that Bess drank must have been contaminated with a chemical. So she and Ned make a plan to go to the mall early the next day to get a sample of this lemonade. And she explains to the lemonade shop proprietors that she was concerned that the lemonade was contaminated and caused her friend to get sick. And they were pretty distraught by this news, so they gave her the sample she requested of the lemonade to be tested.
0: <laughs> they were also kind of angry. They're like, Miss, we do not poison our lemonade yeah, here. <laughs> <I know.
1: laughs> but it was also right after the doctor said it definitely wasn't food poisoning of any kind (laughs) so um, a weird lead to follow but yes we'll see so um it turns out that justin ned's friend was previously a chemistry major so he has access to a lab where he can test the lemonade for chemicals i picture his dorm room just looking like um what's that show with the chemistry set Breaking Bad. <laughs>
0: oh <yeah. laughs>
2: yes.
0: he's making a uh, uh, meth uh, in his uh, downtime between yeah. classes.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> so. Nancy, Ned, and the other students start setting up their market research booth for day two of this research project, and Nancy's surprised when George comes to find her, and even more surprised when she delivers some really shocking news. Five more people have been admitted to the hospital with symptoms exactly like Bess's. And the whole group overhears this now and everyone is shocked, poisoned, how could best be poisoned? And Brad, of course, feels terrible because he sort of has a crush on this girl and they think the lemonade he brought her was the thing that made her sick. So Justin takes the sample home to go test it. I myself would have gone with like a neutral third party laboratory, (laughs) (laughs) but um, I guess you don't really have those kinds of resources when you're a teen detective.
0: Yeah, he also <laughs> s- says very suspiciously, like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll test it, and it'll only take me, like, a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works.
1: Um, so, Bess is feeling a little better by now, so Nancy and George go to the hospital to pick her up. But Bess, of course, needs a few minutes to get herself together just in case she happens to see Brad. Nancy and George are at the hospital, and Nancy decides this is a good opportunity to interview some of the other infected patients. So the nurse on duty gives Nancy their names and room numbers. These are pre-HIPAA times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all five of the <laughs> all five of the patients were at the mall the previous day, but none of them reported having drank any lemonade. And Justin. Tests that sample and he reports back to Nancy that there's no trace of any chemical or toxin in the lemonade So that sort of starts to rule out the lemonade theory. Yeah
0: back to square one I mean, what is it that all of these pimply teenagers could have in common? I don't know
1: (laughs) so Nancy and Ned decide to talk with the other members of the research team to see if they can shed any light on this mystery, and they decide to start with Marsha. So they drive toward her house, but they can't get to it because there's a police blockade. Nancy rolls down her window when she sees the police chief with whom she's worked before, and she asks him what's going on. He says they're there to investigate because a girl on that street is very sick. And that girl is Marsha. Oh no. <laughs> Marsha is much more sick than the other poisoned patients. In fact, she's in a coma. So the police chief meets with Nancy Ned and all of the members of the research team at the police station to take their statements and get their alibis. And when speaking with Nancy privately, The police chief reveals that at Marcia's house, they found the questionnaires that the research team had administered the previous day with all of the participants' contact information. Nancy looks over these forms, and she's shocked (laughs) to realize that all the people she interviewed earlier that day at the hospital were all on the list of participants. They had all received the same sample of Spotless. No. Yeah.
0: I don't believe it.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I know. Um, (laughs) So the team turns over all the remaining spotless samples to the police. And when the police test them, they find that some of the samples were contaminated with 10 milligrams of arsenic. <laughs> mm. um, but that doesn't really make sense for Marsha because everyone who was exposed to the poison samples had pretty mild symptoms. But then why was Marsha so severely affected? Was she like eating the face cream or
2: something? <laughs> <laughs> to
0: squirting it around, Yeah. yeah.
1: So the suspect that keeps popping into Nancy's mind is Justin. He used to work for the company's competitor. He has access to this chemistry equipment. On paper, it looks good, but there's not really any real evidence. So she decides to go to ASCO to see if she can dig up any evidence from Justin's file about him maybe still being on the payroll. She comes up with an expertly crafted disguise to sneak in as a computer (laughs) repair technician, but she does run into some trouble while she's in there.
0: There was no Dodd, Justin file. (laughs) There had to be. Justin hadn't denied working for ASCO. He'd been open about the fact that he'd been a summer intern there. He had to have a personnel file. Perhaps it was misfiled. Nancy looked carefully through the entire drawer of D's. The folder wasn't there. Nancy hadn't been sure what she'd find in the file. She'd hoped that it would confirm exactly what Justin had told her, that he had worked for ASCO during the summer, but was no longer on the payroll. She had been afraid that the file would show that he was still working for them, that perhaps he was on special assignment to sabotage (laughs) Spotless. There would definitely be a paper trail for this. (laughs) But the one thing she hadn't expected was that there wouldn't be a file. In her disappointment, Nancy closed the file drawer harder than she'd intended. As she did, she heard an ominous click. She turned quickly to see what had happened. Oh, no, she thought it couldn't be. The force of the slamming file drawer had blown the file room door closed, which means that Nancy has like Hulk strength.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Nancy raced (laughs) to the door and turned the handle frantically, but she was too late. The damage was done. The door had locked and all her tools were on the other side. Nancy was trapped in the ASCO file room, exclamation (laughs) point.
1: Um, She does end up getting out of this room by crawling through a ceiling (laughs) vent of some kind.
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah, doing like a cool flip on her way down. Yeah,
1: it's those judo skills. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So Nancy, Bess, and George take a break from the investigation to go visit brad's family's greenhouse to get some pumpkins brad is off on a delivery but his father is there to greet them and the pumpkin patch is so beautiful with rows upon rows of healthy large pumpkins Nancy asks him what his secret is to have such a bountiful pumpkin harvest, and he laughs and says, there's no big secret, just sunlight, good soil, fertilizer, (laughs) and occasionally some treatments to keep away insects. And what kind of chemical do they use to keep insects from infecting their prized pumpkins? Why, arsenic, of course.
2: (laughs) um <laughs> of i almost course.
1: i almost looked that up online if arsenic is used as an insecticide but i didn't really want that in my browser history just in case
0: <laughs> <laughs> just in case you never know yeah. yeah but i love that he's just like casually like you yeah, just a little bit of arsenic on top yeah <laughs> never hurt anybody yeah make sure to wash your vegetables <laughs>
1: definitely <laughs> So Nancy, George, Bess, and Ned show up at Justin's Halloween party dressed as Wizard of Oz characters. Before they go in, Nancy warns the group that she suspects that Brad could be the poisoner and that he's framing Justin so that there will be no one standing in between him and that prized ad agency job. And Bess is really shocked to hear this and disappointed, but she's a great friend. She doesn't let her crush stand in the way of being a steadfast, loyal friend and following Nancy's detective instincts. She agrees to act like everything is normal at the party while following Nancy's plan. Brad arrives at the party and he lures Nancy outside. He says, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to call the police and get them here to arrest Justin. But Nancy's not going to play along with this anymore. She says, We both know who the real poisoner is, Brad. Brad runs to his car and starts to drive away with Nancy hot on his tail. She follows him to the greenhouse, but his car is empty. So she sneaks around to find him when all of a sudden she feels a blow to the back of her head. And when she wakes up, she's tied up and Brad is standing before her. He says, Oh, good. You're awake. Now you can hear what I have planned for Nancy Drew, girl detective. And what he has planned, of course, is to poison her because poisoners be poisoning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The haze was clearing from her head now. We're in the gardening shed, Nancy thought. That much I remember. Looking down, she saw that she was propped up in a chair. Brad must have dragged her there before he bound her wrists and ankles in front of her. What is it you've planned, Nancy asked. Though her heart was pounding, she forced her voice to stay calm. The longer she could keep Brad talking, the better her chances of getting away. Nancy realized with relief that Brad had turned on the overhead light. The darkness would have been to his advantage since Nancy was unfamiliar with the inside of the shed, but now she could see and her eyes were searching for anything that would help her get out. Brad was between Nancy and the door. She'd have to distract him, but what was he doing now? Flashing her another evil smile, he picked up a hose with a funnel-shaped nozzle from the floor. He fitted the hose onto a large metal cylinder and walked slowly toward her, dragging the cylinder behind him. "'You're gonna die, Nancy Drew,' he said with a smile. Nancy forced herself to remain calm. Brad had made mistakes before. If she could trick him into another one, she'd have a chance. "'You'll never get away with this,' she said in a reasonable voice. "'Oh, yes, I will, and everyone will think it was an accident.' Nancy raised one eyebrow An accent when my hands and feet are tied? The police will never believe that (laughs) Oh they will when I get done Brad gestured toward the cylinder This is a fogger The kind we use to kill pests on roses It kills other pests too He chuckled (laughs) Obviously amused by his own wit First I'm going to give you just enough To make you unconscious Then I'll wait until you're out And give you the rest When the police arrive it'll be too late River Heights' prize snoop will be gone.
1: That still doesn't really explain how it will look like an accident.
0: (laughs) Nope, nope. Looks very deliberate, yep. It's
1: hard to get accidentally fogged unless you're in Final (laughs) Destination or something.
2: (laughs) (laughs) True, true.
1: Um, And he reveals that Marsha caught on to him and was threatening to go to the police, and so that's when he sprinkled arsenic into her soda, which explains why... You know, she was poisoned so much more severely than the others. And as he leans in to administer the poison to Nancy, she clasps her bound hands together and she punches him in the throat. And then, perfect timing, that's when Ned storms in, still wearing his cowardly lion costume <laughs> to free Nancy and help her escape. I guess this lion had some courage after all.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: the beautiful irony.
1: yeah. And after reporting to the police station, Nancy and Ned drive back to Justin's house. The party's long over, but Justin and Heather and Bess and George were still there waiting for them. They explained everything that happened with Brad, and they also shared the good news that the police revealed Marcia came out of her coma and was going to be fine. Justin was thrilled that he was now a shoo-in for that ad agency job. And Nancy jokes that maybe he shouldn't get too confident. Maybe she would sign up for the marketing program and give him a run for his money. But Ned says, you'd better not. Haven't you heard that the only job more dangerous than being a detective is being in marketing? And I would like to see his sources for that statistic. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the end of our super chilling tale. Our next segment, Student Bodies, is called blood and lace which is our fashion commentary and we describe the cool and crazy outfits described in this book um there were a couple of cute ones that i would like to read to you the first is when Bess and nancy and george are getting ready to go to um a cool concert um, this is their concert outfits bess's says her black leather miniskirt and blue silk t-shirt looked fantastic But what was really making Brad stare was Bess's hair. Although the riot of blonde curls looked artless, Nancy knew they'd taken hours to arrange. Um, This is such a cute (laughs) 80s outfit. I can picture her hair being like very crunchy and large and curly. (laughs) I
0: I like Brad gazing at it longingly like, oh, the lack of art. Yeah,
1: they're so artless. (laughs) Um, that was really cute but then nancy's outfit man i've never even heard of anything like this um (laughs) well you look pretty impressive yourself ned said with a smile at nancy's leopard print mini dress with matching stockings i think brad and i are pretty lucky (laughs) so um she's wearing a leopard print mini dress and i guess leopard print stockings as well
0: (laughs) that's a lot to pair those together leopard
1: print outfit um yeah. I mean,
0: it's almost a, it's costume territory. She was she was pre gaming Halloween with yeah. that costume.
1: Yeah, She's almost going as like a cool, sexy jaguar for Halloween. Um, and then on page one thirty three, I just wanted to describe the costumes that um, some of yeah. the characters decide <laughs> to wear to Justin's Halloween party. It says, "This is terrific," Beth said as she surveyed her friends' costumes. What I like are the props they would really make these costumes. I can't believe they gave us Toto, too. <laughs> George, whose Tin Man costume fit her just right, held out her oil can and gestured at the stuffed dog Bess was holding. With her blonde hair hidden under a dark wig, Toto snuggled in her arms and ruby slippers on her feet, Bess made the perfect Dorothy. Ned put his arm around Nancy's shoulders and gave her a big lion's paw hug. <laughs> no one mm-hmm. would ever recognize you in that scarecrow costume, he said. Um, so yeah, they all went as the characters from The Wizard of Oz. I love, I love a group costume.
0: Uh, George has one of her only good lines in that moment where she agrees with Ned and says, yeah, Nance, uh, or Nan, uh, it's perfect. Not a brain in your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Our next segment, we like to call Bad Moonlight. In this segment, we talk about all of those, wacky, wild, out-of-left-field moments that pop up in our chosen book that signaled that our writer, in this case, one of the many Carolyn Keens, was working under a spell of bad moonlight that infected <laughs> their typewriter or word processor or whatever the case might be uh, to, to make them do these silly, silly things. So uh, I'm going to share a number of bad moonlight moments with you uh, that I think are all pretty fun. All right. <clears throat> so first up, page six uh, has, uh, I have to think that this is, this is the way that internet chatroom communication could have gone in 1995. Uh, just a slight variation on what we used to ask each other. This is when they're doing these surveys uh, for the teenagers in the mall. Uh, After giving them the sample jars of Spotless. This really won't take long, Nancy promised a redheaded girl who was glancing worriedly at her watch. All we need to know are your name, address, age, and what creams you've used in the past. (laughs) So it's really sad that we didn't, you know, adopt that into chat rooms and do like ASL plus C. (laughs) Like, What's your age, sex, location, and the creams you use?
1: yeah. I mean, I guess in 1989, everyone was using Noxima so it wouldn't have been that interesting.
0: <laughs> um, the very next page, page seven, down at the bottom, uh, we, we have, uh, I believe this is, um, uh, it's Justin talking here. And it's, it really kind of upsets me because I was imagining that we were getting a, a little bit of foreshadowing of things to come. Mm. Yeah, Justin said, turning around. After all, who wants to drown in a pool of skin cream? He doubled (laughs) up in laughter as Heather rolled her eyes. Well, it certainly seems like a great project, said George. So... You cannot promise in the first act of a book that somebody's going to drown in a big vat of yeah. uh, skin cream and then not deliver on that.
1: Yeah, like Nancy breaks into Asco and like sees the giant vats where they like factory produce all of their creams, and yes. like one of the members of the research team is floating in this giant <sighs> vat of cream. Oh, oh my man, God. that's so much well, better.
0: <laughs> the, the 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 law of of drama Chekhov's skin cream pool has been violated here, and yeah. I'm not happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, page ten. This is a description from Heather about about Justin. It's just a weird exchange, and again, quite, sort of highlights the pointlessness of George in this text. Here we have uh, uh, Justin grinning and bouncing off towards the exit. Heather had strolled back to the booth and let out an exasperated sigh. There goes the mad scientist, she said. Why do you call him that? asked George. He doesn't look anything like one to me. Is George like a mad scientist expert here? <laughs> like, she know? Oh, yeah. No, listen, I know what they look like. This guy.
1: <laughs> he doesn't have, like, frizzy white hair that's standing out on all ends. He's not wearing a white lab coat.
0: Yeah, where's his like, you know, protective goggles? Yeah. And why is he not cackling maniacally? No, sorry, it's not going to work.
1: Funny that later on at the Halloween party he is actually dressed like a mad scientist, so <laughs> I guess then maybe she could visualize it a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, then George is like, "told you, there I it is." I get it.
2: Now I get it. it. I see it.
0: Um, page 20 in the middle of the page, we find out that Justin has dun 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 a gold pen oh no does anyone have an extra george was about to hand her one when justin pulled out a gold pen here you go he said pretty fancy pen for a college kid nancy <laughs> mused as she clicked it open and began to write justin really was eccentric she thought He even used brown ink instead of black or blue <laughs> what an eccentric <laughs> Uh, this becomes a point later on when uh, a, an incriminating note is written in the, uh, the the brown, this very suspicious brown ink.
2: Yeah.
1: I guess I haven't really seen that much brown ink pens. I guess that is a pretty good clue.
0: Me neither. But you know what? I also haven't seen many mad scientists in my day. So. <laughs> you know how I'm mad? I use
2: brown ink. <laughs>
0: Um, All right. So we're told, you know, throughout that Justin is the class clown and the funny guy, but he's he's really not. However, I'll tell you who is. Her name is Marsha. She gives (laughs) two really great burns on pages 32 and 33. Uh, The first one appears near the top. She's talking about Brad here and his indecision about a choice of costume. Uh, Brad speaking at first, he says, I haven't made up my mind yet, said Brad, and when I do, I'm not telling anyone. Aren't these things supposed to be a secret? Marcia tipped her head to one side and gave Brad a long look. Brad could always be Dracula, she suggested. He seems to go for a different girl every night. That really Dracula,
1: nice. such a player. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, let's see. And the next one is on the middle of 33. (laughs) Uh, We have a funny Justin moment here too. Brad's voice broke into Nancy's thoughts. I bet the pizza guy will be here any minute, he said. Does anyone want to wait for him with me, Justin? Too cold out there, said Justin. Besides, I'd be too far away from the popcorn. (laughs) Nancy asked Brad. Marcia gave a brittle laugh. Why should Nancy want to go anywhere with you? I mean, look what happened to her friend. Vess was literally sick of you after only a couple of hours. (laughs) Oh, man. Beautiful. Um, Okay. Next moment, the bottom of page 37. Uh, This is another entry in a running series of our main character eating food and being disturbed. Um, I love pointing out these moments. I call them this meatloaf tastes like ashes moments. (laughs) Um, this is at the pizza party where Nancy uh, <laughs> takes a slice of pizza. Here's some. Um, Justin held the box out to her and Nancy pulled out a slice. Nancy took a tiny bite of her pizza and shuddered. Eating was the last thing she wanted to do now. <laughs> These authors of this time, they just never want their characters to eat in peace. It's always yeah. shuddering or fainting or feeling feeling <laughs> sick to one's stomach. Come on, let them eat. Yeah they're growing kids um page 64 jumping ahead quite a bit here for our next one it is when nancy is talking to chief mcginnis and learns about uh, marcia's condition basically that she's fallen into a coma because of all of this arsenic she's ingested before nancy could finish the other police officer opened the front door of the squad car and climbed inside no change in her condition he said how sick is marcia asked nancy very said chief mcginnis tersely The last report from the hospital was that she's in a coma. A coma? But she was fine two hours ago, Nancy gasped. Well, she's not anymore, answered (laughs) the chief. Um, I just really like the, well, not anymore. (laughs) Like, sorry, things change. That was good. Um, Page 73 is our next little moment here. (laughs) This is a great Nancy and Justin twofer. I wouldn't give up hope about the job, Ned told Justin. Ned and Nancy were packing the remaining samples of Spotless to take to Chief McGinnis. The police lab would test them and then impound them as evidence. After all, the people at Spotless will have to realize that this wasn't our fault, Ned went on. If anything, they'll probably be relieved that we caught this problem before Spotless was actually out on the market, Nancy put in. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to love that you found out that they were poisoning people with arsenic. Um, Okay. I guess you're right, said Justin, with a faint echo of his old jokey manner. I mean, a blemish cream that poisons people is a great gimmick, but people would probably get tired of it pretty quickly. Yeah, do you think so, Justin? (laughs) Do you think
1: it's not that great of a gimmick? It's a
0: terrible gimmick. (laughs) What is the like? It's a good gimmick for like, um, I don't know, like the Joker's uh, prank gift store. Like what? (laughs) Like no, this is bad. Nobody wants this. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, Page eighty one is that wonderful moment where Nancy disguises herself uh, not as a, a scarecrow, but instead as a computer technician. Um, uh, this is when she walks into the asco offices gripping her toolbox in one hand and yes that's right this is a normal ass toolbox (laughs) Uh, nancy walked into the building there at a large reception desk sat a guard she seemed to be the only person around the guard was a middle-aged woman in a blue uniform she was watching her tiny tv so intently that she didn't even notice nancy walk up to the desk nancy had to clear her throat to get the woman's attention I'm uh, here to repair the computer in the personnel <laughs> office, she told the guard. They called us yesterday, but this is the first chance we've had to get here. Personnel's down the hall, second on the right, the guard said in a bored voice. Clearly, she accepted the fact that when an ASCO computer was broken, it had to be fixed, even on a Sunday. <laughs> well, that was easier than I expected, <laughs> Nancy thought. <laughs> Beautiful. That,
1: that made me laugh so much, picturing <laughs> her like hammering a nail into the computer. We're
0: <laughs> <Boom,
2: boom,
0: boom. laughs> just using this the harder. hammer, and, like breaking it up into pieces. <laughs> I think
1: it's fixed. Yeah, that's how they fixed things in the eighties.
0: So this is a book that doesn't really have a lot of suspense, despite you know, again, like the cover, the situation, Halloween, kind of promising suspense. So the Ghostwriter had to like create an artificial moment of suspense here on page one ten when the group, they're walking around outside and they're like discussing like, hey, is Justin the Poisoner? It just makes sense, he said in a low voice. This is Brad speaking. He worked for ASCO and they're ruthless. They have the best reason for wanting Spotless to fail. Plus, Justin's very loyal, too loyal. I'm sure it's (laughs) gotta be him. A loud thud interrupted Brad before he could go on. Everyone jumped and Bess gave a smothered shriek. "What was that? She whispered. Ned looked around for a second, then chuckled. He bent down and picked up a big pine cone. Here's the villain, he said, tossing it aside. And then we move on. Yeah, really terrifying. The pine cone. The thudding pine cone.
1: They should have used that as a chapter cliffhanger.
0: <laughs> if if, our, if Raspberry Lemonade Stein was yeah. right in this book, you know it would be. Let's see. On page 118, we have a conversation that largely is including i mean the, the funniest thing here is uh, an interaction between bess and brad they're talking about costumes again lots of talk about costumes here they had stopped at a traffic light and ned turned back toward the back seat would you believe that bess is going to be jane and i'm going to be tarzan he asked you'd better not be nancy's your girl remember says brad Bess laughed I guess you'll have to come to the party to see if you can recognize me. I'm not sure what I'll be. George called and said she went to Chicago today to pick out our costumes. She was very mysterious about her choices. I just hope I don't turn out to be the back end of a horse. Don't worry, Beth, said Brad. Even if you are, I'll recognize you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're the back end of a horse, I'll spot you. I'll pick you out of that crowd. No problem. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I liked that scene. That would have been a good prank if Bess was the back end of the
0: horse. I think it's a great costume myself. Page 129 in the middle has a somewhat funny moment um, where like the detecting in this one is pretty weak on the whole. Um, So they they start like, they're thinking, they're mulling over this idea of like, could Asko have been, again, doing this sort of corporate sabotage, right? Trying to uh, ruin... Uh, spotless by poisoning through some sort of intermediary like Justin. And uh, how do they confirm that this is probably the bad route to go down? Why they talk to a marketing professor. (laughs) Hey, Ned, it's me, Nancy said. Did you talk to your professor? She'd just come home from dropping off Best George and about 300 pounds of pumpkins. She said, said a quick hello to Hannah and then dashed up to her telephone. Ned's answer was about what Nancy had expected. The professor confirmed what we'd already been thinking. ASCO would lose more than it would gain by poisoning Spotless. Remember what happened after the sleeping pill scare? Sales of all sleeping pills dropped. Professor Martin doesn't think ASCO would risk anything like that. So, yeah, uh, confirmed uh, co-sleuthing partner, marketing professor who tells <laughs> us something very obvious that you don't sort of sabotage the product you you also sell. <laughs> Uh, do you know anything about this sleeping pill scare?
1: Um, no, but at one point in the book, they mention also people's like Tylenol being poisoned. I think that was a real crime case that happened where people yeah. were putting poison into bottles of Tylenol before it had mm-hmm. that protective foil on top. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sleeping okay. pills,
1: I don't know about, but I mean, gotcha. I, I can understand why it wouldn't be a great marketing slogan to basically say we're the skincare company that isn't filled with arsenic
0: (laughs) (laughs) zero percent arsenic (laughs) you'll feel great as opposed to being in a coma definitely
1: no arsenic here (laughs)
0: um on page 135 we have maybe one of the best best moments in all of bestdom (laughs) Uh <laughs> this is when uh, Nancy is breaking the bad news about Brad. Brad wants that job badly, Ned put in. I agree with Nancy, he'll do anything to get it. Even making Marcia so sick and and me? Bess's voice was filled with horror. He's a very good actor, Nancy said, but I'm sure he wasn't pretending with you, Bess. I think he really likes you. Bess shuddered. I don't know whether that's good or bad, she wailed. <laughs> Is it good or bad that a poisoner likes me? I don't yeah. know.
1: Can you overlook someone's one flaw? I mean, I could.
0: I mean, he's got pumpkins.
1: <laughs> yeah. She could be the heiress, the future heiress to a pumpkin fortune.
0: The pumpkin queen <laughs> of River Heights. Yeah. Uh, the very last moment moments come on 146 and 147, and it's when that judo comes into play. From old Nancy Drew as she attacks Brad after being uh, restrained by him. She has two absolutely amazing moves. (laughs) Uh, So let's read them. The first one's on 146. He pulled the cylinder closer. I kept telling you that Justin was the poisoner, but you refused to believe me. Sorry, Nancy, he said sadly. I have no choice. You've got to die. He reached for the gas mask again. It was now or never. Nancy flung herself forward, using her head as a battering ram. She (laughs) crashed into Brad and knocked him to the ground. She heard a groan, and then there was silence. She stuns him with a head like a battering ram to the stomach. Amazing. (laughs) Um, And then the next one is on the the facing page. You're not getting away, Brad yelled furiously. That job is mine. You can't stop me. Brad had to bend down to pull Nancy away from the workbench, and that was his undoing. Nancy brought her knees to her chest, kicked out with all her might, and sent Brad sprawling. Before he could rise to his feet again, she clasped her bound hands together and slammed them into his throat. She probably just killed him <laughs> um, with that throat punch. Jeez Louise, Nancy.
1: Yeah, like... Get this girl into professional wrestling. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Yeah. Our next segment is win, lose, or die, where we rate our book on a scale of win, meaning it was just a fantastic book that we recommend to you. Lose, meaning just hand this out to a trick-or-treater and let them <laughs> take it off your hands or die, meaning it was pretty silly and perhaps not the best book ever, but it still gave us a little bit of a some Halloween joy. Um, how did you rate this book, Case 41?
0: Well... So, for me, this one is not a full-size win bar. It's more of a fun-size win bar. (laughs) Um, It's not lousy enough for a lose, nor funny enough for a die.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Something to Hide is merely passable Nancy Drew Entertainment. The mystery is pretty weak because it never meaningfully escalates. Um, again, like we mentioned, some files books have a significant body count and this one has like one coma that's recovered from. Not good enough. And a uh, spotchy
1: cheek. Don't forget the spotchy cheek.
0: Oh my gosh, how could I? <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> uh, the core four have few opportunities to shine. You know, there's not many great Nancy, Ned, Bess and George moments. And worst of all, it's barely a Halloween book. Barely. Only at the very end do we have the party, and we don't even really spend much time at the party before, you know, things sort of come to a head. Um, to all of this, I say only one thing, and that is boo.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, <laughs> I did give it a win. I agree that it perhaps wasn't Nancy at her strongest, um, but... To me, as a protagonist, she's still such a breath of fresh air compared to our usual dum dum <laughs> protagonists. Um,
2: For sure. Yes,
1: yeah, always so astute, picking up on those clues. Uh, it did take her a little while to pick up yeah. on a pretty fairly obvious clue in this book, but um, I just I love the way that she approaches her cases with um, such conviction, and I love her strong group of auxiliary characters as well i thought that it had a little splash of silliness and it was an okay halloween setting but i all in all love nancy drew and can't wait to return to river heights
0: (laughs) yes and at the very least we'll always have this cover oh yeah So, our next segment we like to call Final Exam. And in this one, we play a fun game or activity or something of the sort inspired by the book at hand. So, my game has a very tortured title, and it's called Twin on Skarmbles. <laughs> Like ensembles, get (laughs) it? Yeah,
1: oh, I got it.
0: (laughs) You got it? Yeah. Twin unscarmbles. Okay, so basically, whenever we throw the very first Super Chiller's Halloween Hootenanny, we will obviously need to wear coordinated costumes inspired by our super chilling Tales. Mm -hmm. So, for the following four costume pairings that I have invented, you must determine two things. One... Which one of us will best wear each half of this pair?
2: Okay. And
0: two, which of our previous novels the costume is inspired by? Awesome. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I-, I think you'll—I think you'll have no problem identifying all four of these. But I think it'll still be fun. All right. So number one, here's the first costume: is a beauty pageant contestant with sash and crown. And the second costume is a giant bagel slathered in cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so which one of us is wearing which?
1: Um, I feel like you should be the pageant winner. You are like <laughs> such an elegant presence. I'm so poised. And mm-hmm. me, myself, I'm more of a schmear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect. Uh, what book is this from? Do you recall?
1: I mean, at this point, The Admirer. um,
0: No, I'm sorry. I mean,
1: I know that it was representing Miss Cream Cheese, but (laughs) was it that um, Lights Out?
0: Lights Out, you got it. (laughs) Never forget, never forget that hoodlum. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Second costume pairing. The first costume is a silver-wigged, glowing-eyed woman dressed in bohemian-chic clothing and brandishing scissors. And the second costume is a human-sized pouch or fanny pack full of clippings of human hair. <laughs> so which one of us is going to be which?
1: Mm, I feel like you should be the um, the platinum blonde um, <laughs> oh, yeah, bohemian so. character. Um <laughs> Like, again, that's a nice color profile for you. I don't think it, I could pull it off. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, I would just be the bag of, what is it? Fingernail clippings? No, hair clippings. Hair clippings. Human hair clippings, yeah. Uh, oh, I really, <laughs> I do hate hair, but it is Halloween, so you should do things that scare you. That's I guess true. since yeah. that's something that scares me, um, that's a good costume for me. You live
0: through your fears. All right, yeah. what book is that inspired by?
1: Okay, that is inspired by that one book that we read before <laughs> The Surfer <laughs> that was called... Uh-huh.
0: Um, uh, it's in the other Twilight series. I
1: know. I keep thinking Sea Witch, but that's not what it was called. What was think, it called? Think...
0: Uh, think um, <laughs> Think uh, Glenn Close, Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Fatal attraction. Fatal attraction. Yeah. Right, right.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, costume pairing number three. Yeah. Two identical blonde twins with trash can eyes and who smell of smoke, one scarfing down hot dogs and the other looking nauseous about all the hot dogs and the possibility of having to clean up hot dog vomit. Which one of us will be which?
1: I would probably be the one scarfing down the hot dogs um, because I'm just like, you know, a, a hot dog fiend like that. Um, mm-hmm. And you would be like disgusted by me.
0: Well, I'm really good at cleaning up like cat puke, so I feel like hot dog puke is that's just one next level. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know what I I don't eat that many hot dogs or really any hot dogs actually. But um Maybe if they were those like little ones that are wrapped in a croissant, I could see myself oh. eating a few of those.
0: Yeah, well, those would definitely be um, the party hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, or this <laughs> ha- Halloween hootenanny yeah. for sure. Um, all right, so what book is that from?
1: That is from the Evil Twin from the Sweet Valley. Hi, series i mean return of the evil
0: yeah, okay i was like you got it wrong <laughs> we're being we're being Margot and nora is that her name nora
1: oh man i miss sweet valley high <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> i'm sure we'll come back soon um all right last one this one's a real tricky one but i think you can probably get it i also think it's definitely the costume that we should wear okay all right. So the first costume one of us will be going as a 1995 Mazda Miata, <laughs> and the other of us will be going as Post Malone. <laughs> Who's going as which?
1: I kind of want to be the Mazda Miata. <laughs> I am Fast and Furious. Um, <laughs> that's, true, that's true. And you, I could see as Post Malone. Um, you have a very um Post Malone energy. All you need is a couple of face tattoos.
0: Well, I was going to say like, yeah, I mean, I've already got the face tats covered, so
1: Yeah, just a couple more maybe. <laughs> just a couple more just to
0: really <laughs> sell it. Yeah. Um so, so what is what, which book is this inspired <laughs> oh <my> by? Gosh. <laughs>
1: um, it's so funny because like Post Malone and his character Polk Malone like are burnt <laughs> yeah. into my brain but I can't really remember okay I'll which book give you some hints came from. remember
0: okay. uh, Polk Malone has his beloved 1995 Mazda Miata that oh, is yeah. like scared off of a hilltop
1: yeah oh something... yeah the motorcycle one yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. what's
1: it called <laughs> it's called um
0: uh, don't think too hard about it
1: the motorcycle
0: <laughs> close
1: zoom zoom
0: who <laughs> rides a motorcycle
1: the biker the biker
0: <laughs> uh well i think we've got so many great costumes that can uh, be derived from our books and i can't wait for the first super chillers haunted halloween hootenanny
1: <laughs> me too i'll start working on my Mazda miata costume <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that was so fun Basically, I was just so inspired by the amazing cover to this book, Um, probably one of the best things about this book, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I had myself a glimpse over some of the other Nancy Drew Files covers, and I noticed a pretty consistent trend with all the covers that I looked at. There's Nancy Drew in the foreground with some kind of fabulous outfit on. And behind her, there's always a random, suspicious looking man. <laughs> it's practically the format for yep. every cover. So I'm going to show you a couple of these images and then I'll just ask you to tell me what you think is going on in each of these books based on the cover and you know who you Beautiful. think this random, suspicious man is. So perfect. This first one, I'll drop into the chat now.
0: Okay. Uh, this is case number 15, trial by fire. Uh, (laughs) all right. So, so in this one, uh, Nancy is really like off put by, uh, this guy named, uh, Tad, (laughs) who who locks girls in, um, uh, little cages. Yeah. Um, whenever he gets off duty being a taxi driver, (laughs) Uh, and she's like, you know, it's this. This is sort of like if, um, if that show you was a romantic comedy,
2: yeah. Um,
0: and like, is Nancy, Nancy's like, ugh, is this guy hot or not? I can't tell. If only he'd let these girls out of their cages.
1: Yeah, totally. And instead of working at a bookstore, he was a cabbie.
0: <laughs> yes, a cabbie with a uh, leather sherpa jacket. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what's actually going on here? It says that Trial by Fire is about. Um, after Carson Drew is arrested on bribery charges, Nancy swings into action to clear her father, going undercover as a cabbie on the midnight <laughs> shift, <laughs> and finds herself in a deadly demolition derby with a vicious mobster. Oh. So um, that guy might either be another cabbie love interest, or he could yeah. be the vicious mobster. Um, you know, I'm not really <laughs> sure. Could go
0: either way. Yeah, yeah. I imagine co-worker.
1: Yeah. Okay, let me send this next one into the chat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're looking at case number eighteen, Circle of Evil, and in this one we have in the foreground uh, Nancy looking incredibly bored, um, <laughs> in a really cool summery outfit though. I uh, she's sitting on, She's sitting on the beach, uh, in a big t-shirt and a uh, printed some printed shorts. Um, there is a, uh, a boy who works at the River Heights country club standing behind <laughs> her, uh, uh, legs spread <laughs> defiantly as he is grabbing his belt. Um, right behind them is, I guess it looks more like a lake cause there's not a ton of beach that we're seeing and, yeah. uh, someone, it might be Nancy or another blonde is jumping off of a giant <laughs> diving board into this, what seems to be very shallow water. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think this is um, set, I mean, it's clearly set at River Heights Country Club. Um, There's a rash of uh, drownings uh, that Nancy is investigating. uh, And it turns out it's just because they installed a diving board when they really shouldn't have. Um, (laughs) It's extremely dangerous. Yeah, yeah,
1: that is definitely um, not going to be great for your insurance. Um, No. (laughs) So why do you think River Heights Country Club has such a sloppy dress code? Um, this guy does not look like he is, you know, a country club, uh, circle member at all.
0: Well, he looks circle of evil. Um, yeah. I think, I think that what happened is they, they like bought all of, they had all those t-shirts printed up um, yeah. to sell in the gift shop, but then nobody was buying them. So they're just like, well, we, we can use these as uniforms <laughs> instead.
1: Gotcha. Um, so what's really going on in circle of evil It says, while enjoying a fabulous party hosted by wealthy Joanna Tate, Nancy finds herself investigating a major jewel theft. So no diving board accidents, unfortunately. Her chief problem is a rookie police detective who wants to nab the thief himself, but a rash of devilishly original murder attempts convince Nancy to solve the case quickly or pay dearly later. Um, So maybe he is an off-duty rookie police detective in some casual (laughs) wear. I don't know.
2: (laughs)
0: He's trying to fit in undercover. Uh, Devilishly or deliciously evil.
1: Yeah, deliciously evil. Okay, let's do this one next
0: this is case file number 25 rich and dangerous and you can tell that this hunk who is also wearing a leather jacket is rich because he has a horse and buggy (laughs) which Nancy is pondering she's like hmm can I adjust to this wealthy lifestyle of going everywhere by coach I don't know I don't know Um, and he says come on Nance let's take a ride
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's dressed in sort of a bomber jacket that a pilot might wear, like a cool, rich, dangerous pilot. So I'm not quite sure where the stagecoach fits in. (laughs) Um, But the plot of this book is actually... While on vacation in New York, Nancy Drew saves the life of an elderly woman who turns up dead a few days later. Is the victim's supposedly caring family to blame? I still don't understand what the stagecoach yeah. is for. I have no idea. <laughs> well,
0: you know, in New York, we just we travel everywhere by stagecoach. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, okay, let's just do one more. I do have about 10 of these, though. So. <laughs> they were just so
0: funny. I mean, they're all so- oh yeah, I know this one. <laughs> uh, case number 77, Danger on Parade. <laughs> uh, in this one, Nancy has two potential suitors. One of them is a boy who's crouching down and uh, looking very uh, shocked and also wearing a sort of leather bomber jacket <laughs> with some khaki pants mm-hmm. and loafers, it seems. Uh, whereas it seems like the more likely love interest for this one is a giant uh inflatable balloon <laughs> of a weird cartoon cat character who looks a little bit like Felix the cat or more like one of those um, those cat clocks, you know, with a little yeah. tail that moves back and forth. He kind of looks like that, but like very well fed. Yeah, uh, like
1: a Felix the cat wearing a devil's costume. <laughs> there maybe. you go.
0: they also seem to be surrounded by like an old is it a castle they're like on the grounds of a castle it's weird
1: yeah i'm not sure they might be on the grounds of the famous mitchell's department store where nancy and bess are offered a behind the scenes look at their thanksgiving day parade but someone Uh, is determined to flatten the floats burst the balloons and sabotage the spectacle no matter who gets hurt so i'm thinking this guy's out there just trying to pop all these balloons so rude ruining thanksgiving mm -hmm. for everybody
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) um thank you so much i can't wait till we cover all of these
0: So at this point in the program, it is time to pick our next book, our book for November. Katie, you know what this means? It means we're on our 25th episode next wow. time. Uh, we have been doing this for, I mean, two years worth of episodes at this point. I mean, I think we're a little bit longer than a, than, than two years because I think we skipped one month. You know, we get busy. Yeah. But yeah, 24 whole episodes. This is a landmark. 25 coming up in November. I couldn't be more excited. Wow. So. Let's reach into the Super Chillers Beret and see what fate has in store for us. Uh, While Katie's doing that, I will remind you, as ever, you can send us fan mail, congratulations, complaints at our email address superchillerspod at gmail.com superchillerspod at gmail.com and of course you can follow us at super underscore chillers on instagram and twitter uh, and of course please rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify the provider of your choice anytime you do that it really helps with the algorithm gets more eyeballs and earballs on our episodes which we appreciate so katie what are we reading for november
1: For November, we are reading "Help Wanted" by Richie Tankersley Cusick.
0: Ooh, interesting! Yeah, we haven't done we haven't done an RTC in a little bit. Not since Vampire, I don't think.
1: Oh really? Wow, that was a long time ago. Well, if that's the case, I am very excited to get back to RTC. You know, she never disappoints in my book.
0: RTC doesn't disappoint.
1: As we close for the evening, Jeffrey, do you have any words of advice for our student bodies?
0: You know, it's only true love if you'd recognize them as the back end of a horse.
1: (laughs) And I would like to say, as we close, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's arsenic. (laughs) (laughs) Good night.
0: (laughs) Good night.